right decision for our church and, and for our people who who come to church here and uh, did some research and, and followed some other churches in regards to uh, where, um, just what we would do. And so as of now, obviously, some of you are here this morning. We we knew that the, uh, that uh, our California governor mentioned that he'd like gatherings to be less than 250, and we knew that a snowstorm was coming, and uh, and and that with concerns we would be well under uh, that number. And I, I put a video out and a letter requesting those who are not feeling well or that are older or susceptible that they would stay home. So we felt uh, comfortable to be at this place where we're at now. <clears throat> I don't know what the future holds. I know God knows the future. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to continue uh, to possibly meet in some form or another. Uh, luckily, we're, we're in a community of some very resilient uh, individuals. My wife actually made um, a bunch of phone calls to those who were older in the church yesterday. So if you didn't get a phone call, it's not because you're not loved. You're just not that old. Um, and, uh, and Allie told me, my wife, she said she was really surprised at how resilient some of our older gals are. Um, and uh, she, she called Mavis, who's the oldest running member of our church, and Mavis said she would be here this morning. I'm, I'm actually kind of glad that she's not, uh, because I, I would hate for her to, to get something, but she told Allie, she said, yep, I'm going to church, cause, uh, because uh, I want to die hugging people, and um, so she, her eyes are set on, on heaven, um, for sure. And I obviously have been asked a lot of questions during the week, you know, what's my view, what do I think? You know, God is doing. I've had questions uh, from a few people wondering if I was going to change the direction in which we were going for a message this morning. And I think I would have done that if I didn't feel the text that we're going to be in this morning uh, is important uh, and doesn't isn't fitting. I think it is fitting. I think it'll it'll transfer well into where we're at. So I think God will speak uh, from the Word to where we're at today. Um, It's it's amazing to be sitting from this point here in 2020 and to think I remember over 20 years ago. Uh, we were having the conversation as a, a very large church in Southern California that I was part of about online services then, way back then, 20 years ago, uh, and and the the idea of an online service was very taboo then. That we just couldn't believe we would ever do that. People would not uh, attend service, uh, which we now statistically know that most people use an online service, whether it's uh, via Facebook or YouTube or live. They use it as a front door. It's become a tremendous resource for churches. And now here we are today, uh, all across our nation, churches are using online uh, services to protect the elderly and to protect those uh, that are hurting. So the internet is being used in a great way uh, in that regard. And I <clears throat> saw a post of a friend who, who said, uh, going to his church, he said, we're getting up. My family's not attending uh, church in the morning, but we're getting up and we're sitting in front of the TV and I'm making my kids get dressed. Uh, and we're standing when the reading of the scripture occurs, and we're going to church, and we're doing this together. So all over the world right now, there are people tuning in live. And what's really amazing is the live thing, even for us, is reaching people that we never thought they would reach. It would reach. And I'm sure there's going to be people tuning in to this service uh, from Truckee who are wondering, you know, what does our local church have to say? What does God have to say to the Truckee Tahoe area in a time like this? Uh, in fact, my neighbor this week, uh, that she does not go to church, um, uh, she, she, uh, I don't know what her faith is in God, but she was out cleaning her yard while I was out cleaning my front yard, and she said, oh, hey, by the way, I, I saw uh, you live on Facebook the other day. I have no idea how she accessed the sermon. I don't, and I was like, oh, 
and I didn't know what to say. It was just kind of this awkward moment where, where I don't know if she, I, I almost felt like she didn't want to say you did a good job because she probably didn't agree with everything that I said. Um, but she tuned in. And so people are tuning in, and we trust that God's going to speak. So I'm going to read Exodus chapter 1. If you're able to this morning, please stand. If you're at home, I want to encourage you, go through, go through the process of honoring the Word of God. If you're at home, uh, whether you're holding your phone, stand up. If you've got your tablet, stand up. If you're on uh, Apple TV or whatever, stand up, and let's read this text together. <clears throat> chapter 1, verse 1, Exodus. These are the names of the son of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Ishakar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Nephtali, Gad, and Asher, all the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt, and Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful, and listen, look at this, this closely, increased greatly and multiplied. This is uh, the same language used in Exodus when God tells Adam and Eve to increase in the earth and to multiply. Same language going back to the garden, if you will, and grow exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who didn't know Joseph, and he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many, too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us, escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for, for, to, for Pharaoh store cities, Python and Ramses, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, and made their lives bitter with hard service, and mortar and brick, with all kinds of work in the field, and all their work they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra, the other Puah, when you serve as midwives to to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if, birth stool. if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it's, a da- if it's a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this? And let all the male children live. The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and they give birth. The midwife before the midwives come to them. So God dwelt with all the midwives, dealt with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. Because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people that every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast in the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Lord, we ask that you would transcend the text into our day, that your word would be true today as it is, as it is then, Lord, as it was then. I pray that you would minister to us that you would allow our fear to, to be set aside, our anxiety to be set aside, that you would use uh, this as a season for you to be glorified and for us to take comfort and refuge in you. And we trust you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name, the church said. Amen. You may be seated. Um, <clears throat> it's interesting. You know, when you study Scripture, one of the things that, that you try to do, at least as a pastor, uh, if you're studying the Word and you're trying to preach God's Word, which we try to put a huge emphasis on, you usually try to find out the original Hebrew or the original Greek, go back to the original language, find out what it means, find out what's there, and try to think about what's happening for the people here. What, what was it like to live in this particular day and age? Now, all of us, I'm sure, uh, have a handicap in that, in that most of us don't speak Hebrew. 
So as we read this text, not many of us, probably none of us, can go back and look at the Hebrew and see what was there and see the nuance that we might be missing in our English language. And so then after that, one of the things that we tried to do uh, in studying scriptures to go back to the church fathers and, and understand what did our church fathers know or deal with or wrestle with in this context. And these, you can go all the way back, guys like Augustine or, or Calvin or, or Luther or Owen or some of the reformers. And I bring that up because, you know, this week, I don't know about you, but this week has been a week for me that I have had some anxiety with. I, I've wrestled with what is happening in our nation and where is God in that for my family and where am I to make the right decisions, not only for my family and for my children, uh, because I've got four little ones that God has put me in charge of, but also uh, what is my job in regards to us as a church as well? As, as heads turn, I have people I can counsel and ask, but heads turn and, and are looking for me to, to answer questions that I don't have answers to that, that I'm not meant to answer. Uh, and so I get the opportunity to point us all back to the Lord, but but uh, history shows that this is not something that the church has not dealt with before. In fact, Martin Luther uh, who is the guy who started the Reformation. We, we basically exist as a church because of Martin Luther. I know not all of his ideas were great and that he had his own issues and, and sin, but we need to be thankful for how God has used him. But Martin Luther pastored during the Black Plague. He pastored in a day and age when, when disease was rampant. And I don't have the quote before me, but I came across uh, uh, Luther where he was saying that during the Black Plague he would isolate himself where necessary so that he would not cause harm or illness to those uh, who were vulnerable and that he would then where God allowed him he would enter in to people's pain and suffering and he would serve them and he would love them and if and if God so saw fit for him to get sick and to die then so be it he would go uh, to glory to be with the Lord. So this is not something that is uh, not been dealt with. This is uh, a day and age that we live in where, where things have been difficult. And, and, and really, I had shared with you last week when we started Exodus that, that we were going to cover some major themes in Exodus. And one of those major themes is that we have a promise-keeping God, that our God keeps promises. And last week I said, hey, if if you will, take some time to go home and study through Scripture, look through Scripture, look for the promises of God, and, and allow those promises to, uh, to, to kind of just bathe you and fall over you and, and realize that those promises are for you. And what we have in Exodus in chapter 1 is we have God keeping his promise. We have God uh, behind the scenes doing something that not everyone sees, and it's a hard time. It's a difficult time. In fact, in chapter 1, verses 1 uh, through 7, uh, it gives us a synopsis of, again, what's happening in what happened in Genesis. You had a guy by the name of Joseph, and Joseph ends up being sold into slavery uh, by his brothers. His own brothers take him because he had a dream, and they sell him to Egypt. If you remember, as a slave, they sell him to Egypt. He goes to prison in Egypt, and through, through the sovereignty of God, uh, through interpreting dreams, he ends up becoming the number two guy in Egypt. And if you remember, this is, what, this is exactly what basically happens with, with Joseph. Joseph has a dream, and in his dream, God basically tells, uh, it wasn't his dream, he was the interpreter of it, I'm sorry, it was, it was Pharaoh who had the dream, that he has this crazy dream with some fat cows and some skinny cows. And Joseph interprets the dream, and he says, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be, there is going, there's going to be a, a, a day of famine. The grocery stores are going to be empty. There's going to be no more toilet paper. 
the pasta is going to be gone. Safeway is going to be empty. Target's going to be empty. Walmart's going to be raided. Costco's going to be crazy. He says, this is what's going to happen, so we need to prepare. So because of the dream that Joseph had, he ended up becoming the number two guy and he ended up preparing Egypt for a famine. And because of that famine, his relatives who sold him into slavery, his Hebrew relatives, come back to Egypt to find food and refuge. And Joseph gives them grace, and that's the 70 people that you see in the first part of the text. Now, why this is important is because it says that they multiplied, they grew, and they multiplied. So Joseph had favor, the Hebrews had favor because he saw that, that, that God had given him this, this, this clue into this dream that they were coming upon tough times and that Egypt was going to be a place of resource, that Egypt was going to be a place of rescue. And after it was all said and done, a few kings later, they've forgotten who Joseph is, but the people have grown, fulfilling the promise that was given that Abraham's descendants would be so fruitful and multiply, they'd be like the stars of the heavens of the earth, which we know you and I are part of. But in this time, we'll see that in the Exodus, and that word Exodus just means to exit, that word Exodus, when they leave uh, the word will tell us, the Bible tells us there was 600,000 men. That doesn't count the women, doesn't count the children. That puts us at an estimated uh, two to three and a half million people who left Egypt. That's a huge amount of people. But before the Exodus, uh, we see that this is, this is dark days. I mean, I need you to step into the text. I know, I know if you're spending too much time on Facebook and too much time on the internet and you're reading stories and you're trying to get educated and you're seeing what's happening around our world, there's got to be anxiety in your heart. I, there has been for me, if I'm honest. And I'm assuming for those of the, the, you who are online, you're not here in part because you're anxious. You don't want to get sick. You want to get someone sick. And if you're not anxious of that, you're, you're anxious because people are crazy. If we could just respond with logic and, and normality and faith, the, the stores wouldn't be an issue. We, we wouldn't be as worried about finances. We wouldn't worry about the stock market. I mean, the stock market is run literally by emotional uh, reaction, fear or, or courage. Or as one day it's down 2,000 points, the next day Trump says it's an emergency, go, so it goes up by 2,000 points or 1,000. What is that? It's just people going, I think today I should sell. I think I, it, people are responding out of emotion. And that emotion leads us to a place of panic. So if you're, if you're like me at all, you, you just take that panic for a moment, step into the everyday Hebrew's life here and see how dark these days really are. You have women who are, who are I mean, what did the text just tell us? They're, they're growing like crazy. So we've rejoiced over the years in our church that, that we keep having families that have multiple kids. This is what Egypt is like. They, there obviously is no contraception with the Hebrew people. They are just reproducing. And so you have not, not a few pregnant women, you have many pregnant women. And for nine months, these women who are pregnant are wondering, if I have a boy, is he going to die? Is he going to be taken from me? Is he going to be murdered on the actual birth bed that that baby is birthed on? Or, or by decree of Pharaoh, Pharaoh has told the Egyptian people, this is how gnarly it is. The Egyptian people see the Hebrews as such a threat that he has given them the government order to not stay indoors like we're to do, but to be in the public and look for young babies and throw them into the Nile. To throw them into the Nile. 
Imagine the, 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 the anxiety that those women felt. Imagine the, the need to protect your children that those men felt. Imagine the tears and the crying and the pain and the suffering. And in addition to that, they are, they are laboring hard to build a kingdom for a man who believes that he is God, for a nation that believes Pharaoh is a God. This is dark. We can't just gloss over this and, and try to make it seem like some kind of beautiful thing. This is tough, this is ugly, and this is hard. And so by contrast, yes, it's hard, things are difficult, but it's nothing like this. What we learn in moments like this, what we learn in difficulty like this, is that we have a God that intervenes. Now, this is the part for me pastorally where, where for myself, I have to preach to myself, I have to preach to you, I have to preach to my family, I have to preach to my kids, that we believe in faith in a God that intervenes. We're not deists. See, deism is the belief that God created everything. So, so he, he built the earth. He, he, he created humanity. He, and, then, and then once he did all of that, he removed himself. And now he's just kind of in the back going, figure it out. Go ahead and figure it out. We're not deists. We believe that God intervenes and is intervening both on a personal level, a micro level, and a macro level. See, we believe, we believe from what Scripture teaches us and tells us that God is intervening in us individually as people. That, that Jesus, when he came, this is why Jesus came and he died so he would be the great Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. And then when Jesus ascended to heaven, he, he gave each Christian the promised seal that guarantees our salvation, the Holy Spirit. He is inside of you. He's dwelling within you. And that promise is that God is intervening on behalf of your family right now. He is. He, he's doing something. I don't know what that is. I, I can't declare to you that, that it's going to be easy because it isn't. And in fact, that's one of the reasons why I'm a Christian because Christianity never shies away from suffering, at least within the correct circles of biblical Christianity. I'm sure some of you have been in churches where they don't want to talk about suffering. They want to talk about blessings. If we just name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. That mentality of Christianity that, that, that right now is not going to help you. But we believe that Jesus uses suffering on the personal level, in our sorrow, in our joy, in our pain. He was involved in Joseph's life from the beginning. And he's involved in ours. We also believe, by way of reminder, that God is also intervening within our leadership at a macro level. The, the, the government level. Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, says this. He changes times and seasons. He's the, one who, he's the one who makes it snow in March. He changes times and seasons. Listen carefully now. He removes kings and sets up kings. So I don't know what your view on the, uh, uh, where we're at politically. I don't know what your view of Trump is. I don't care. I really don't. What, what I do care about is that you understand that God is intervening in your leadership's lives. 
God doesn't leave Trump off on his own. God doesn't leave uh, when Obama was in leadership on his own. Whether you're a Democrat or a Republican matters not to me. What matters to me is that you understand regardless of your, pa- of your, pa- of your party and, and regardless of your political view that you know that God is involved in king's lives and leadership's lives. He'll set up who he desires to set up and he'll set down who he desires to set down. And God saw this in Exodus. You think, you think he was taken by surprise that Pharaoh... There was a pharaoh that was in charge that knew who Joseph was. He disappears. Now there's a new pharaoh in charge who doesn't know who Joseph is. Do you, do you not see? God is in charge. He knows. And then we've got this weird tension we're going to see later where we see Pharaoh hardens his own heart against God, and then God hardens Pharaoh's heart. What do we do with that? Well, We recognize that we, we have personal responsibility for the way in which we respond to anything. But God indeed is sovereign over man's heart. He controls everything. And he is not shocked or dismayed in this season, and nor should we be as well. And we know that he's ultimately in charge of salvation. He's intervening. Now Joseph gives us a picture of Jesus. That's why he's mentioned here. It's, Exodus starts with the gospel. I want to see some beautiful correlations. Listen to these carefully. I think I actually have a slide for this I'll use in the service here. Joseph claims that he's elevated over his brothers. Remember, he has a dream. He says to his brothers, you're going to bow down to me. Likewise, Jesus has an elevated claim above all men. Joseph claims that his brothers, I'm sorry, his claims, Joseph's claims cause his brothers to get rid of him. Jesus' claims cause his brethren to crucify him. Joseph goes off to Egypt for a time. Jesus goes into the tomb for a time. Joseph returns to the lives of his brothers, saving them. Jesus returns and saves all of mankind. Both repay evil with good, and God uses evil to do good in both of their lives. Joseph is set up to point us to Jesus. And as Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 tells us, which is key, is for you, what you meant evil against me, God has meant for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. These are God's words to us. He, he, he's, he's taking charge. He's doing something. And even though we can't see it, we have the promise that even though, even though things are hard, God has a plan and that plan is good even when things are bad. And I say that again, that's one of those things, you sh- it's like a tweetable moment. I tell my community group that every now and then. You know what a tweetable moment is? It's something you're to remember, something you're to pocket away. God has a plan. That plan is good even when things seem bad. God is working on behalf of us and the church. One of the things that made the church so unique in the first century was how they engaged the sick when they were sick how they loved the poor and the needy and how they supported one another, even to the point of gathering. Uh, and this has been the tension for me. There are, there are first century historians that show that even under the fear of sickness and persecution, the church still gathered together. And here we are in a time where we're, we're being encouraged not to gather together so that we don't kill each other. <laughs> 
And where the wisdom in that, where, where we, we don't operate in fear, but we operate in wisdom, that, that's the thing that you need to pray for us as a nation. You need to be praying for our church that we don't operate out of fear, but we operate for what is, what is wise and what is smart and what is prudent. And then we share with our, our neighbors and our friends that they're not to put their hope in this world. I mean, the reason, the reason my friends, that you and I and the rest of the world out there start freaking out is because we like to think that we're in control, and control is and always will be an illusion. It's one of the reasons, in all honesty, and I've seen some reports of this, that the, the, the reason that we don't have toilet paper in the grocery anymore, the grocery stores anymore, is because it gives people a sense of, of, of comfort and control. It's, even though you don't need that much toilet paper, it gives you a sense that you can control something, and it's a creature comfort. And we know that's an illusion. It's an illusion. And, and, and the reality is, is that we're not in control, but God is in control. And the reality is, is that no pastor is going to tell you, no counselor is going to tell you how to deal with this thing for your own family and your own place. The only, the only place of wisdom you can go to is God himself who's in control. You have to point people to the hope that is beyond human hope. I mean, think of the immense pressure that is even placed on Trump. Again, I don't care what you think about the guy. But the pressure that is on him to make the right decision to say the right thing. There's no man that can live up to that for all of humanity. There's not one person who can give the right answers and then put in the right protocol to protect a nation of well over 6 million people or 300 whatever million people it is. There's not one person that, that, that has the answers except for the person that is Jesus Christ. And Exodus is a big story of how suffering is used and God uses suffering and God uses the, the distractions of the world and the pain of the world to bring us to a place of hope. Because here's the reality. God isn't so concerned about getting the people, the Hebrew people, out of Egypt as much as he's concerned about getting Egypt out of the people. God was concerned not just, not, with, not, with, not just with what's happening here, because if you look in verses 8 through 10, there's political slavery for the people. In verses 11 through 14, economic slavery. In verses 15 through 22, social slavery. Verses 8 on through, through chapter 2, 1, we see spiritual slavery and oppression, a, a, a slavery that, that, that we can't, can't escape. And, and, and what's happening, what's happening is that the people of the Hebrew people, they've been in Egypt far too long and they're embracing the gods of Egypt and they're embracing the ways of the world and God has to purge them of the evil within so that they will not lose their salvation in Yahweh. Could it, be, could it be for the church that, that, that God, not only for the church, but for, for the United States, for the world, that we've become too addicted to consumerism, too addicted to entertainment, too addicted to creature comforts, and we've forgotten what it's like to truly live sacrificial in relationship with God and other people? I mean, think of all the excuses you make not to go to church and not to study your Bible, not to pray, not to call out to God, to be distracted. Think of all of the things that you have that just flood your brain. Even for me, I've been guilty over the last few days spending far too much time reading things on Facebook and not enough time praying that God would intervene on our behalf. We become addicted. Is it possible that God wants to get some of the consumeristic, U.S.-minded junk out of our hearts to, to truly free us so that we don't feel the anxiety and the depression that just weighs on us so 
heavily? Could it be that, that this is a, a time and a place and a, a situation that God could use to bring people to salvation and to get you to really, to really put first things first? Because right now, everybody's starting to wonder what are the most important things. You don't got NBA to watch anymore. You don't have your sports anymore. Hockey's canceled. Events are canceled. School's canceled. Whew. Pray for your, your kids, man. Pray for your families. Well, what are you going to do? You know what I think is going to happen? We're going we're gonna to be in this little bubble for so long, however long it's going to be, and people are going to start feeling the social anxiety, and they're going to want what they should have always wanted from the beginning, good, healthy, communal relationships. We're like, like a hug, touching another human being, shaking hands. Everything that's happening right now goes against against what we're even built for. When, when we come against trial and tribulation, the, the human mentality is to band together, not to isolate. We're going to be desiring deeper relationship. And my friends, you and I have the hope that God intervenes in our lives. We have the hope that has lasted for thousands of years that, that God's people have, have been clinging to for centuries. We have that hope. Don't be dismayed and don't be fearful. And let me close with this. Let me close with these unlikely heroes. The unlikely heroes are women. It's one of the reasons why I've, I've read some commentaries and, and some theologians believe uh, why this is a, a, a historical, factual um, book. Because in this day and age, women didn't have rights like we have in the United States. Sometimes the testimony, it wasn't even to be deemed appropriate. If a woman gave testimony, it was like, no, that doesn't count. She's a woman. And here we see that these two women, uh, Shifra and Pua, are, are, uh, Shifra means beautiful one and Pua means splendid one. These two women are remembered. These two women are, are seen as, as names to be brought out because they feared God over fearing Pharaoh. And these women are remembered. And you'll see in Moses' life, uh, all of these different women play a key role in Moses' life. Shifra uh, is mentioned, and then Pua, and then later you'll see that his mom puts him uh, in, in the Nile River in a tabah is what it's called. The tabah is the same time, uh, same name. It's the only place it's used in the rest of the Bible. The only time tabah is ever used is with Noah's Ark. And Noah was placed in a tabah, an ark, and Moses was placed in a tabah, in a little boat, and he was put in that boat, and he was put down the, the river, and his sister stood back to see what would happen, and, and one of uh, Pharaoh's ladies finds him, takes him in, and, and by God's sovereignty, Moses is taken back by, uh, to his own mom that he would be raised even by his own mom while he was being raised in the house of Pharaoh. God intervened. He used women, and, and likewise, likewise, you're, you're never too small to be used by God. As one pastor said, never believe you're too small because it's the power of God at work in that, tiny, in that tiny, tininess that God reaps his glory and our joy. This is a season that I don't care how small you are, I don't care how young you are, I don't care how old you are, I, I, I don't care where you're at in your walk with the Lord, God would desire to use you in this season. To not operate in fear, but to operate in service. Call your neighbors. Share the Facebook live feed. Give somebody a Bible. Share the good news of eternal life. Not temporal, not this temporal world. What, what if all the money goes away? Stock market crashes again. 
You lose your home. You lose your job. It, it, all of those things, again, illusion of control. Our only hope and our only assurance is eternal life. Our only hope to be reconciled with one another is eternal life. Point people to Jesus. I want to close with this quote with Spurgeon in a time of prayer. Spurgeon said, in all probability, if they had been left to themselves, speaking of Israel, speaking of, of Egypt, uh, out of Egypt, the Hebrew people out of Egypt, if they'd been left to themselves, they would have been melted and absorbed into the Egyptian race and lost their identity as God's special people. They were content to be in Egypt, and they were quite willing to be Egyptianized. To a large degree, they began to adopt the superstitions and idolatries and iniquities of Egypt, and these things clung to them even in after years. He goes on and says, to such a terrible extent that we can easily imagine that their hearts must have turned aside very much towards the sins of Egypt, yet all the while God was resolved to bring them out of the evil connection. They must be a separate people. They could not be Egyptianized. They could not be Egyptians, nor yet live permanently like Egyptians, for Jehovah had chosen them for himself, and he meant to make an abiding difference between Israel and Egypt. See, this is what Spurgeon knew. This is what God knew. We can't live like the rest of the world. We can't act like the rest of the world. And one of the greatest things that we can do in this day and age is to put our full hope and our full faith in Jesus so that the world can see that we're rest assured and we're confident. It's okay if this world is destroyed because he's going to make a new one. And that doesn't mean that we don't have an obligation to protect. It doesn't mean that we don't have an obligation to preserve. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have the ability to continue to, to build cities and to plant and, and all of the things that we've talked about in here before. But what it does mean is when, when days like this are chaotic and crazy, the message that we share with the world is that God is in control and he uses hard, suffering times to bring us closer to himself and to purge the church of the things that need to be purged of. I, I think, in all honesty, just coming from my perspective as a leader, there is far too much consumerism, far too much self-preservation in the Christian American church. And if God does not purge us of that, we will be like Europe and the church will not exist. So as I close, for those online and those who are praying, um, as Brad comes up, I want us to spend some time in prayer. So I want to mention a couple things and and I want to pray. And this is what I'm going to do. It's a smaller room. And I did this online. People posted their prayer requests online. I'm going to just sit down. And I'm, as, again, I, again, I don't care what your politics are, but I'm thankful that a leader in our nation stood up and said, we should pray and we should cry out to God today. And so I want to encourage you to do that. And what I want to do is I'm going to sit down. I'm going to let you pray. I want you to pray as you feel led. You want to pray something out loud, pray out loud. Uh, those of you who are online, you want to interact and put your prayers down online, we would appreciate that. Several of you did in the first service. I want to encourage you to do it again in this service. Uh, and pray. Pray for our nation. Pray for our leadership. Pray for our church. Because I'm sure like you, you you're wondering, hey, hey, what, what's going to happen? What's going to happen with my finances? What's going to happen with, with my family? And I'm worried about my family. Now, now as a lead pastor, I'm worried about our church. The last thing we want to have happen is to see you know, finances go down and have to cut back on ministry at Sierra Bible. And, and so we've had to make mention, you know, give online and, and, and continue to support your church and continue to pray so that we don't have to cut back on. Because we're, right now, we might, need, we might need giving more than ever. 
We might need to be going. But my wife, like I said, my wife called several older people and said, can we go shopping for you? Can we go get you supplies? Is there anything that you need? And in the coming days, if this thing gets worse, then the church is supposed to be a hub and a place of, of, of refuge and a place of service and hope. And so we need to be willing to, to engage our community. And so would you pray? Would you pray that God would provide not only for our families and our kids and our, our teachers and our health workers? Because those people, if this thing is really as bad as it is, all our health workers are really putting themselves out there. I was thinking, man, Lord, just, you know, I know I'm, every now and then on the freeway, I get frustrated with those big rigs. Right now I'm like, please keep delivering me milk and cookies. Keep those trucks going. And, and, and thank God that they're isolated and they're a carb and they can, you know, but they're, they're still working, they're still plugging away. And, and all of us, all of us are in this together. There's not one person who, who's just sitting back and going, ah, don't worry about it. I mean, I'm not sure that's totally true, but what's happening in our nation right now is, is it's concerning for a lot of people. And maybe that's all you need to do in this time. Maybe, maybe in time we'll see this thing blows over and all you need to do is just give people assurance. God loves you. He's in control. Let me pray for you. So let's spend some time in prayer.